Hey, so we are continuing our series um, called Un. And just a reminder, kids, if you're, um, remind your parents that there's some activities for you in the notes. So have them uh, grab those if they haven't yet. So you can, you can follow along with some of the scripture that we are going to be working through this morning. And this idea of Un is, um, it comes from a scripture in Isaiah where it says, God's ways are not like our ways. His ways are so different. His ways are higher than our ways. And nowhere is that more evident than um, in the life of Jesus and in the way that he responds to people who disagree with him, to the way that he responds to people who are hostile to him even. So that's what we're going we're gonna to look at today, the way that Jesus responded to people who offended him. And this idea that Jesus um, was unoffendable, and that's, um, that's what we should be looking to do also. And when we think about being offended, right, we could be offended directly. Somebody could cut us off in traffic or jump, jump in the line at the grocery store. Um, somebody could take credit for something we did at work or at school. Or somebody could just verbally attack us. Um, those are direct offenses against us. But more and more commonly these days, um, we are being, we are feeling, we're being offended, even being told we should be offended um, indirectly. And by that, I mean, if someone thinks differently or believes differently than I do, then, um, then that should be offensive to me. And part of that is because it usually comes across in, um, in something like this, uh, a label like overly sensitive liberal snowflake or judgmental right-wing nut job. Um, I probably offended everybody listening right now just by saying those those two things. But this, I, this idea of, of being unoffendable, right, whether it's directly or indirectly offended, is um, if we consider ourselves followers of Jesus, this is something that we need to take really, really seriously, folks, really, because... Um, we're supposed to be growing in Christ likeness. We're supposed to be, you know, he's supposed to be becoming greater in us and we're supposed to be becoming less. And Jesus, the only person who could rightly have been offended by everyone, he was offended by no one. And so that, um, that's a lofty, lofty goal, but that, um, that is the bar that, that Jesus, that Jesus sets for us. And if, um, it's so, so important. It brings us to our big idea for this morning. Whether or not we are unoffendable reveals our heart for Jesus and for others. This is just so, so much of a heart issue. It's not about um, the behavior of the rest of the world. This is about my heart and it being transformed into the heart of Jesus with, within me. So we're going to get rolling here and we're going to define a couple terms. The first one I'm going to use um, from an author, Frank Viola. Uh, being offended is a resentment and anger wherein a person holds a grudge and seeks retaliation, whether passively or actively. Resentment and anger wherein a person holds a grudge and seeks retaliation. So the idea of anger is kind of central to getting a handle on this idea of being unoffendable. From my good friend Dallas Willard, anger is like a headache in that it tells me something is wrong. It's a feeling that seizes us in our body and immediately impels us towards interfering with and possibly even harming those who have thwarted our will and interfered with our life. Even harming or interfering with those who have caused us this, this anger. And I wanna jump right to with those definitions in mind, let's take a look 
at what Jesus had to say about being angry. This is in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books in the New Testament, chapter five, just two verses. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to, to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So pretty clear, I think, in that Jesus um, is saying anger is to be avoided. He's equating anger with murder, which is a pretty, um, pretty big statement, pretty harsh statement. Depending on, on how um, familiar you are with the Bible or, or not, um, you may, one of the thoughts creeping up in your mind right now, like, didn't, didn't Jesus get, didn't Jesus get angry? Didn't he flip all those tables over? So let's think about that for a second, right? So Jesus, <clears throat> during his time on earth, he was fully human. He's still, he's, he's still full true now, fully human, fully God. Jesus shared all of God's attributes, right? And when we think about God being angry, the Bible uses the word wrath, right? And so wrath is this, this funky thing of a combination of other attributes of God's perfect love and his perfect justice coming together. God's anger, God's wrath is always because someone is hurt. Either we are hurting ourselves by neglecting our relationship with him or worshiping something instead of him, or we're hurting other people by our actions and, and words. So that scenario, right? Jesus goes into the temple and he flips over a bunch of tables of money changers. Uh, and he's really, he's, he's angry because, right? Here's the, here's the essence of, of Jesus's anger. Um, he went in there for people to come in and worship and to give their offerings. They had to use the temple money. So they would change whatever money they had for the temple money. But the guys who were doing that, who were conducting the exchange, were taking advantage. If you came in and you gave three coins, you would get one temple coin and we're back. The, back. the exchange rate was all was all out of whack. Um, and then people had just set up shop in there. They, this was the temple, the house of the Lord, and they had turned it um, into a place of business. And not only that, but just they were taking advantage of people, specifically they were taking advantage of the poor and they were taking advantage of those people who were trying to worship God, who were trying to come into the temple. Um, so, like I said, God's anger, God's wrath in the person of Jesus is always about when someone else um, has been hurt or uh, wounded. So Jesus, um, Jesus being angry has to do with his character. You might also be thinking about some verses in the book of James or the book of Ephesians that would imply that uh, anger, if handled properly, is okay. It's okay for us to be offended as long as we deal with it properly. This is from James chapter one. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. All right, so anger's okay as long as that's not my first impulse, as long as like we're patient and there's some building there and, and it's not our first our first reaction. That would could be the thought. This is from Ephesians chapter four. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. So this would imply that um, 
it's okay to be angry as long as we don't hold on to it and it doesn't last too long. We deal with it, nip it in the bud immediately, that, that kind of thing. So when we look at scripture, I say this a lot, right? We need to look at it in context and we need to interpret scripture in light of other scripture. So the entire Old Testament, every reference to anger, I'm not sure, I haven't actually looked at every single reference, but the, all the ones that, that I checked, um, anger is the source of destruction. Anger is the source of relational strife. There's nothing good in the Old Testament that comes that comes from anger. And then, so that's other scripture. We look at Jesus' teaching, anger is murder. And then we look in context, right? So the very next verse, I read to you James 1.19. This is James 1.20. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And then following up the Ephesians verse, just five verses later, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Old Testament, Jesus, New Testament, anger is something that we need to work on eliminating. Anger is something that we need to work on eliminating. Okay, so back to back to Jesus's words. And these in these two little verses, Jesus gives us this very, very cool progression, which takes us to the first of two reasons of why it's so important um, for us to wrestle with this idea of becoming unoffendable. Right? But I tell you that anyone who is angry with the brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Okay, so that word angry is um, there in the original language. The word tells us that there's an awareness of the anger and there's some um, deliberateness. There's a, a cultivating of that anger, right? So, okay, I know I'm aware somebody did something to me that hurt me or I didn't like or interfered with what I was trying to do. And I'm going to, I'm going to stew on it. Might even like marinate on a little bit, get a little juked up about it, get, and it, and it, it builds, right? So it's not just, it's more than, Oh, that hurt. Okay. And move on. Right. It's, it's, it's stewing on it. It's letting it build. It's, it's kind of that thing that happens to us when we get angry and we can't sleep and we just turn the same thought over and over again. And we think about all the consequences. That's what Jesus is referring to here. All right. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the court. So um, a modern day equivalent to Raka might be uh, contempt or, or worthless. So the progression, the next step in this progression is somebody hurts me and because they have hurt me, and think about today's today's culture, right? It's not just that direct, it's that indirect. Somebody believes differently than I do. Somebody thinks differently than I do. They're, they're worthless. And this runs completely contrary to one of the central premises of the Bible is that every single person, regardless of where they were born, when they were born, how they live, who they love, is created in the image of God. And because they are created by God, on purpose, in his image, they have worth. So I would, I would just say this. I think in terms of a, a descriptor of other people, worthless is one of those words that we should, uh, we should just strive to eliminate. And um, it goes right back to what Jesus is saying here. Just because somebody hurts us or believes differently than we, we do does not take away their value as a person. The last step in this progression, you fool. Modern day equivalent of the use of 
that you fool would be malice, right? The intent to harm. So we go from anger, okay, uh, there's recognition that you hurt me and I'm gonna, that's bad. And it's getting worse as it, I spend more time thinking about it. Because you hurt me, you have no value. You are worthless. Because you're worthless, it's all right for me to hurt you back. That's the progression laid that, that Jesus lays out. And in that progression, we, um, we find Jesus placing the value on all of, all of humanity. Um, each individual person, Jesus said when he died on the cross, when he paid that infinite price for our sin, he set the value of human life as at, at infinite. He traded his life for our life. And in doing so, he placed a value on human life that is, is infinite. That's why Jesus equates anger to murder. This, this progression of anger, contempt, malice. It should, it should tell us, it should remind us of what Jesus thinks, what Jesus wants us to think about, about human worth. So the, the second piece of why it's so important that we become unoffendable is actually our big idea. Whether or not we are unoffendable reveals our heart for Jesus and for others, right? Jesus told us that the two most important things, two most important commands are to love God and to love others. And the, the next piece of this, the heart that is unoffendable brings glory to God. When we are unoffendable, when we choose to let go of anger, when we choose to not be upset with somebody because they believe differently than we do, when we choose not to be upset with somebody um, or not to uh, assign characteristics to a person because they believe one thing, that doesn't automatically make them X, Y, and Z other things. That demonstrates all the things that we say we believe about God, right? If we, we say God is all knowing. God knows what's in that person's heart, so we don't have to. We're not capable of it, and we don't have to. God is perfectly just. If that person is doing something wrong, if they've done something wrong, God will take care of it. God is perfectly loving. God's justice for that person is going to be just right. It's not going to be too much. It's not going to be too little. We can trust God to take care of the how we have been wronged. We can trust God to take care of how he has been wrong. And when we are unoffendable, when we let offenses slide, for lack of a better term, it brings glory to God. It emphasizes, it demonstrates that we actually really do believe all the things that um, scripture says about God. The second piece of this is the heart that is unoffendable points to God. So Jesus himself says we're, we are to be his witnesses to the, to the end of the earth. Um, the New Testament tells us that we're to be ambassadors for Jesus. We're supposed to represent him. So summarize those two thoughts. When people spend time with us, they should, they should have a good idea of what it's like to spend time with Jesus. The things that we do should represent what Jesus would do if he were in, if he were in our place. So think about how that would, um, how that would play itself out with somebody with whom we have a disagreement or somebody who hurts us. And I absolutely love, love, love the way this is captured by um, author Brett Hansen. He's kind of uh, painting a portrait 
of an interaction between two people who are diametrically opposed. And I just, I wanna put this quote up and I wanna read it to you. This is Hanson talking. I happen to be a pro-life limited government Jesus follower. So you're an atheist and a socialist who's pro-choice and thinks Jesus is for losers. Fascinating. Say, how do you like your toast? And tell me more about your thoughts about Jesus and, and losers. You guys, I gotta, I gotta tell you something. When I, um, I read that actually this, the title for this sermon came from his book. This guy wrote a book called Un Unoffendable. And when I, I read it like last summer and I was rereading some of it to get ready for this, this message. Um, I actually got teary eyed thinking about what that would look like, right? For, for me as an individual to be able to interact with people uh, with whom I disagree or who have hurt me in in that manner, right? With with hospitality and with generosity. Um, and think about like if a, a little community like Crossroads were to live like that. If the people, um, if, if it could it could change the shape of of Fairfield County, right? This is this is possibly the biggest lever that we have right now into the hearts and minds of the people around us is this idea of becoming unoffendable, right? We offer toast and we ask a question and we open doors and we open hearts and we open minds. Anger only brings about more anger. Love produces change. So <clears throat> where we think about, that's a lot to think about. How, so how do we, how do we become unoffendable, right? So here's the don'ts and the do's of becoming unoffendable. The first thing I would say to you is um, do not, despite the fact that it says know the rules up there, you get the idea that kind of the rule lady is, is not a nice lady, right? Do not make this a rule or a law. The people who Jesus was hardest on, the people who he clashed with the most were the people who tried to make rules and laws out of everything. And, and they became the so-called, they, they were the ones who determined who was right and who was wrong based on their rules. They added rule after rule after rule, and that never changed their hearts. So they never became the people that Jesus intended them to be, right? So don't make this a, a rule or a law. Um, second thing I would say is don't respond like I did during the, um, the first week of, of shelter in place. It was one of our very first digital prayer meetings, and we were having trouble getting people on. People were muted. Their camera wasn't working. People couldn't find the, the Zoom room. It was it was it was rough. Um, and just just as we got going, we were getting getting ready to, to pray. Um, someone at my house who will go nameless, but who is not my wife nor my youngest child, unplugged unplugged the internet, literally un unplugged the internet. Um, so I got, I got disconnected from the prayer group and thankfully um, the group was ready to carry on without me. Norbert was there, he, he led things and got through, but man, did I not respond well. Um, I, I was, I just turned over and over and over how, like how angry I was and how we had just gotten things going and how nobody was ever going to show up to prayer again because it got shut down. And like all these imagined consequences, um, I was very 
offendable in that moment. So um, try and press pause, try and take a step back, try and realize people still prayed, people were still together, people were still connecting with Jesus and with others, um, despite the fact that um, the internet was broken on that night. And will forever go down in infamy in the K house. <clears throat> don't make it a rule, don't make it a law. Um, don't, don't, uh, don't cultivate it, right? Don't cultivate it like I did. Don't let it, let it fester and grow. What are, what are some of the do's? So if we think about um, responding to people with whom we disagree with or who have hurt us, uh, a friend of mine who I, I coach CrossFit with, um, she is, uh, she's an incredible athlete. I actually really love to work out with her because we're very evenly, um, like our, our fitness level is right there so we can push each other and um, it's, it's always fun to work out with her. However, we could not be more different in um, the things that we value and the, the, the priorities that we have. She is a very outspoken, um, outspoken atheist. And she's, um, I think she's pretty, uh, pretty angry at God actually. Um, and so when I interact, when I interact with her um, online, I won't, I won't reply to kind of any of the, the inflammatory the stuff. If she posts something that I agree with or I like, I try to like, you know, like it or comment on it or, or engage her in a, in a positive manner. And when we're together in person, um, I will do my best to offer toast and ask a question, right? So um, in, in the case of this particular person, it was the matter of, um, just offering some practical help and in the, in the midst of offering some practical help, following up with, with the question. And because of that, I mean, I think that there is a, there's an open door there in that relationship where I might be able to speak into it. Um, whereas if I had, you know, replied in anger to any of the comments, or if I had lashed out or tried to win, the, win the moment, um, I might've lost my, my relationship with her. So, um, go back to that idea of offering toast and, and asking a question. And the last thing, and we're going to, we're going to end our time here with this is that we practice the spiritual disciplines. Um, the spirit, uh, think of the spiritual disciplines like this, any, um, any athlete, artist, musical performer, they train to become better, right? Any, any concert piano player will drill scales and they'll play them over and over and over again and they'll do rhythm drills before they ever attempt to play beethoven or mozart or or any other you know complicated piece of music they will train to get there and that's what the spiritual disciplines are it's it's training it's it's indirect training so that we can transform that god can transform our hearts i wanted to offer you two kind of clarifying thoughts on spiritual disciplines First one, the disciplines are simply a means to help us be with Jesus and to become like him. And again, from Dallas Willard, the disciplines are conduits of God's grace. So we do these things to, um, to open up access to God so that God might transform us from the inside out, so that our heart might change, so that we are people who... Um, who naturally respond as Jesus would if he were in our place. So we represent him well. So we bring God glory in all that we, in all that we do. Um, I'm going to 
pull up this last slide here. And I keep coming back to this, and these are 12 possible components to a rule of life. These are spiritual disciplines. These are things in which we can engage that will um, give us access to God and that will transform our hearts so that they might be unoffendable. Reading scripture, silence and solitude, prayer, um, doing emotional health work, whether that's a group or, or therapy, um, rest, the idea of, of Sabbath rest, simplicity, slowing down. These are all things that, um, that we can and should be, should be working on that will change our hearts to become more like Jesus. So we can be things like we can step into situations for which we feel unqualified, like we talked about last week, and we can do so with confidence and we can um, we can face people who with whom we disagree who have hurt us and we can be unoffendable because we have Jesus's heart and it's growing in us so I'm gonna um, I'm gonna pray here in just a second and we're gonna run a video which is just some of our some of our friends uh, reciting some scripture about how we handle anger and about um, how God handles handles anger. I just wanted to give us some time to to wrestle with that idea, and then um, then Ben and Britt are going to close us with uh, with a, a couple of songs. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, we we thank you that you set the example that you are unoffendable. God, please work in us as we pursue things like spiritual disciplines, that you would shape our hearts, God, that our hearts um, would point to you, that our hearts would bring you glory because we are unoffendable. God, we, we, um, we just ask that you would make us the kind of people that value all human life and that we would demonstrate that being unoffendable. God, we ask that you would continue to shape us into your image. God, and in so doing, we would bring your um, your hope and your peace and your joy and your love to Trumbull and Stratford and Bridgeport and, and Monroe and West Haven and Fairfield and Waterbury and Newtown and all the places um, that people who are part of Crossroads represent and all of our friends online um, joining us from, from across the country and around the world. Jesus, we... Um, we love you and we thank you and we pray these things in your awesome name. Amen.